4 in your Bibles. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 4. We're going to read a quite a large passage today. Uh, we're going to read from verse 4 down through verse 13. We will read these responsibly. We'll read the odd verses together. I'll begin with verse 4, and I'll read the even verses alone. And so let's, uh, let's begin the reading here. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then verse 13 together, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I want to preach a sermon with kind of a long and odd title today. It's this, does Philippians 4.13 mean a Christian can do anything? Does Philippians 4.13 mean a Christian can do anything? Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us as we understand this passage and we understand uh, this verse that is so commonly quoted and used uh, in our Christian circles. Lord, would you give us a heart that understands and a heart that is open to discern? And Lord, would you work in our hearts and in our midst? And God, would you help us today to leave here uh, a little bit more equipped to live life your way? And God, move in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. What does Philippians 4.13 mean when it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? Well, we're going to talk about that uh, through the body of the sermon. But by way of introduction, let me tell you what the verse does not mean. Okay, I've got several pictures that are going to go up on the screen to help illustrate what this doesn't mean. If you could put the first picture there up for us. Uh, this is a Christian shirt. I can do all things. And for those of you listening over the radio, that uh, basketball, uh, there's a basketball that makes up the O in the word do. I can do all things. This is a shirt that uh, you can buy, I'm sure, online and, and wear. Uh, uh, let me say, be careful about Christian shirts. Uh, not all of them are bad, and there's nothing wrong with wearing a Christian theme shirt. Uh, they love to have cute sayings. They love to take company logos and, and change the wording around a little bit and, and, and put that out there. There are some Christian shirts that are just not very Christian that you need to stay away from. I remember a shirt back in the 90s that was real popular. And you might remember Budweiser's theme was This Buds for You. Well, it had the same logo and it said This Bloods. For you, this blood's for you. Not a shirt a Christian ought to be wearing. We don't want to advertise or give off the idea of alcohol 
in any way. That is, uh, there's a reason why it's called spirits. Amen? Uh, it, uh, it has the same effect as a demon would. In fact, I believe there's a demonic presence even uh, within that, or definitely an opening the door to a demonic oppression on someone. Uh, so be careful about that. But you have that shirt there that implies that you can be an all-star basketball player because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. Next, next, next picture there. Does anybody here know whose shoe that is? Whose is it? That is Steph Curry. How many of you have no idea who Steph Curry is? Steph Curry was the NBA MVP a couple of seasons ago. Uh, no, actually, I think it was last season. He is a three-point shooting king. Man, the guy can hit him from half court. He's a guy, a great shot. He was raised in a good Christian home. He was taken to church three times a week. He was taken to study school. He was raised with Christian education. His dad was a basketball player, but his, and I'm sure a good man, but his mom was a strong Christian. And as far as I know, Steph Curry believes salvation the same way that we do. Uh, probably would not attend a Baptist church, but believes the same way we do. But on his shoes... Right there on the loophole for his laces, he has 4.13. Obviously a reference to Philippians 4.13. Let me say that Steph Curry won the MVP and won a, a, won a, 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 a NBA championship, but it had nothing to do with Philippians 4.13. Put the next slide up there for me. On his shoes, same shoe, on his shoe, he takes a marker sometimes and he'll write out, I can do all things. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Next slide. Who knows who that is? Tim Tebow. How many of you enjoyed watching Tim Tebow when he was a college football player? All right, uh, Florida, Florida Gators uh, uh, football player. I have seen a video of Tim Tebow standing in a prison leading a group of prisoners through the sinner's prayer. I believe Tim Tebow is saved. I do. Uh, I believe he's just as saved as I am. I believe he's a good person. I also believe that he was unfairly treated in the NFL for his uh, Christian faith. Uh, some people here would disagree with that, and that's okay. Uh, listen, if you win a playoff game and you're the reason why the team would, you should at least be a backup somewhere in the NFL, especially as, as inept as, uh, uh, as the quarterback position is in football. But he took a strong stand with his faith, and I believe he was probably tossed out of the NFL by and large because of that. Uh, but Philippians 4.13 on his eye black. Again, Mr. Tebow, you're taking the verse... Out of context, next slide. High school sports. Here we have a team getting ready to run through a banner, a football team. I played uh, flag football, full contact flag football with no pads when I was in junior high, and I, I got knocked around pretty hard. Uh, a lot of those kids are bigger than me, and they put me on the offensive line. I still don't know why they did that. A little pit squeak sixth grader, and you got this eighth, ninth grader running you over, but uh, played on the played on the flag football. That was rough. And, uh, you know, we ran through banners like that sometimes. Uh, but here's a question I have. What if the other team is running through a banner that says the same thing? How does that work? I can do all things through Christ which strengthens, and probably not our version of the Bible, but the same idea. Next slide. Ah. Now, I love to play basketball. I'm trying my best to stay in shape. I've got a seven-year-old boy. He'll be eight in May. Uh, and as he gets older and he becomes more athletic and plays more sports, I want to be able to get out there and play with him and make those memories. And so at least that's my excuse for going and playing basketball every week. Amen. But let me tell you something. If I go to the gym where I shoot around and I stand behind the three-point line and I quote Philippians 4.13 before every shot, 
I am not going to make every every ball I throw up there. I'm just not. You say, well, what does that mean? Pastor, all of those things are sports related. Does it mean you can skip three nights of sleep and on the fourth night still be joyous and cheerful and jovial and a great Christian? Nope. If I climb up on top of the Sears Tower and I say, excuse me, I say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I want to fly. And I dive off the building. Can I tell you something? They're going to be cleaning my guts up off the sidewalk below. So what does Philippians 4.13 mean? Well, let me give you some introductory thoughts here about Philippians. First of all, let me say, what if, let me just make this quote from a sports standpoint, what if both teams are claiming this same verse? I, I know in uh, Christian school sports, I coached uh, varsity basketball a couple of years, uh, varsity boys basketball, then I coached a junior high team for a while, and then I coached varsity girls basketball. Somebody asked me uh, recently, they said, Pastor, is pastoring White Oak Baptist Church the toughest job you've ever had? And I quickly responded, no, coaching a girls basketball team was the toughest job I've ever had. You're talking about dealing with drama. You're talking about uh, uh, breaking up petty fights. You're talking about keeping emotional young ladies who are still coming into their own as young ladies from uh, uh, getting, uh, staying away from each other at times and breaking up uh, squabbles and girl put the cat claws away. Amen. And so that was uh, uh, tougher than than uh, probably uh, pastoring a church would be. And I say that somewhat, uh, 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 I say that somewhat jokingly here. But uh, what if both teams claim that verse? I know when I coached that girls team, our girls would get together in a huddle. They'd all put their hands together and they would pray together. And sometimes they would quote this verse. One day I'm sitting there listening to that and I thought, I bet the other Christian school girls team in the other locker room might be doing the same thing. Uh, another uh, thing I'd like to say by way of introduction here is uh, uh, just talk about prayers prayed in locker rooms before the game. People sit there and, Lord, I pray you'd help us win today. Well, what if both teams pray that prayer? Can I tell you this morning that uh, God does not care who wins next year's Super Bowl. God does not care who wins the March Madness tournament, the college basketball tournament that's going on right now. God does not care who wins the NBA championship that will take place at the beginning of June. God does not care who wins the World Series that will take place next September or October. God does not care about those things. God just yawns. Now, so then if the verse doesn't have to do with sports and the verse doesn't have to do with being a superhero as a person, then what does the verse have to deal with? Well, let me just also add that you've got to be very, very careful about taking a verse out of the context of the passage and quoting it the way it is. If there's a crime, a Bible crime, that Baptist people are guilty of, it's quoting one verse and not studying all the verses around it. Don't be guilty of doing that. Now, I'll give you a, a, another example of this. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to them that are the called according to His purpose. We will quote that to someone who's going through a hard time and, and convince them that eventually all this is going to turn out good for you. And I would tell you this. Have, I would ask you this. Have you studied the verses around verse 28? 
Do you know what that means inside of the context of this? Philippians 4.13 is a verse I've probably had memorized since I was four or five years old. But until I sat down about a month and a half ago and studied out this passage, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really know what it meant in light of what it says here in the Scripture, in, in the passage. And so we've looked at what it doesn't mean. This morning, I would like for us to transition into the message and look at what it does mean. Let me say this. I believe that verse 13 is clearly teaching that there is a set of things that Christ can do through the Christian. Christ can do through the Christian. Ultimately, Christ can do anything He chooses and He can use anybody He wants to accomplish them. Uh, for instance, Moses threw his rod on the ground. Did he not? Did Moses turn the rod into a snake? Or did God turn the rod into the snake? Now, Moses had to throw it down. And Moses had to believe it was going to happen. But God turned the rod into the snake. Moses uh, stood there and he held that same rod up over the Red Sea. Did Moses part the Red Sea? Or did God part the Red Sea through Moses raising up the rod? You might remember the prophet Elijah. Elijah prayed and said, uh, claimed a promise in, in Scripture and said, God, please stop it from raining. Did, did Elijah stop the rain? No, God used Elijah's prayer to stop the rain. You might remember Elijah got up on top of the most delicious mountain in the Bible, Mount Caramel, amen? He got up there and he prayed and he said, Lord, send fire down from heaven and prove that you are the one true, only living God. Did Elijah send the fire down? No, Elijah prayed and God sent the fire down. Uh, every uh, day on my way home from work and then on my way into work, I will listen to uh, the Bible uh, on audio. I, I, through my phone and over the over the sound system in my car, I will listen to the Bible. Let me just say that that's a great way to grow in the Lord. You need to have time. Your eyes feast on the Word of God, but get the Word of God in you every way you can. And last night on my way home, and generally I don't get as much out of it in the evenings as I do in the mornings. In the evenings my mind is tired and weary, and, and, and my thoughts are, are, uh, are, are, my thought processes aren't as sharp. And so last night on my way home from the church, uh, I listened to Matthew chapter 21, 20, uh, probably 20 up to about 23 or 24. And this morning I listened to the same passage again. I got to Matthew chapter, I believe it's 21, and Jesus tells His disciples that if you believe, you can order a mountain to be cast in the sea. You say, well, see, isn't that proof that I can do all things through Christ? If I believe, I can fly. I think they made a song about that, right? Uh, if I believe I can hit this game-winning shot. No, 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 no. Is, is there a viable reason for that mountain to be cast in the sea? One. And two, who's going to get the credit when it happens? You see, even when Jesus told that to his disciples, it was them that had to believe, and it was God that would do it. It would be done through their prayer, but through Christ's power. The question this morning is this. Are you getting by... On your strength? Or are you getting by on His strength? Are you trying to live life through your power? Through your intellect? Through your capabilities? Through what life has taught you? Or are you trying to get through life on what Christ tells you to do? Are you getting through on His strength? His intellect? His abilities? 
This morning, we're going to take Philippians 4, verse 4 down through verse 13, and we're going to run through nine thoughts real quick about this idea of, uh, of, of doing all things through Christ. Nine points. How many of you wish you'd come to the 830 service? Amen. I gotta be done at a certain time. I don't have to be done at a certain time now. No, I, I'll, I'll be time conscious. If a pastor tells you he's got two points to preach, you're gonna be there a long time. If he tells you he's got nine points, he's probably gonna get through them pretty quick. So you're safe, okay? Point number one of the message today is this. I can rejoice. I can rejoice. Look with me back at verse four of Philippians chapter four. The Bible says there, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Now Paul's about to give out several admonishments, beginning here in verse 4. Can I just tell you something this morning? It is impossible, impossible, in your flesh to do what he's about to tell the church of Philippi to do. You can't do it. Some of you today, your problem is you're struggling in life because you're trying to do it through your flesh. And what Paul's about to tell the church of Philippi to do can only be done through leaning on Christ and Him doing it through you. By the way, the nine points I'm about to give you, I could spend a whole sermon on each one. And I might come back at some point and do that. But uh, uh, here Paul is telling them to Rejoice. Oh, pastor, I can rejoice. It's easy to rejoice when your team wins, isn't it? It's not so easy to rejoice when your team loses. How many here would label yourself in some way on some level a sports fan? Would you raise your hand? You're a sports fan on some way. The 830 crowd was my sports fans. Like, like two-thirds of them raised their hand. And I, not as many sports fans here. Carson, I think, may have been the only person in the building that knew those were Steph Curry's shoes. Everyone was like, huh, what? What's that? Uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, you know, uh, when you do maybe watch your child or grandchild play Little League Baseball, uh, or, as they'll do it, some of them will do in our league, or you watch them participate in some other event, you cheer for them. And man, when they win, yeah, right, my child won, my grandchild won. But how about when your team loses? Can you rejoice then? Let me make it a little bit more spiritual here. When life's going your way, boy, it's easy to rejoice. You get a raise at work. You get the shift at work that you want. Uh, you get, uh, uh, things are breaking your way at church. You've been put in charge of a Sunday school class, and man, that thing's growing. You're, you're, uh, you're working a bus route, and that bus route's growing. Uh, you're, you're working a ministry, and man, that ministry's going strong. The church is growing, and, and, uh, uh, you got, uh, more money than you know how to spend. I don't think any of us have that problem, amen. We can always find ways to spend more money. Uh, but, uh, things are just going great, and man, you step back and you go, I am on a mountaintop in life right now. Boy, it is easy to rejoice. But how about when things aren't going your way? How about when you get bad news at the doctor's office, not good news? How about when you get laid off from work? How about when your children are acting awful? How about when your marriage is falling to pieces? How about, uh, how about when that ministry you're working at church, it just isn't going so well, despite all your efforts and your prayers? Can you rejoice then? You see, if we're living our life through our flesh, we can't. But if we're relying on the Lord, see, I can do all things. I can rejoice all way through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Number two. Verse number two. 
or rather uh, point number two, I can refrain. Look down at verse five. <clears throat> verse five. The Bible says there, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That word moderation there, I define it this way. Placing a limitation in front of something so that it stays in its proper place. Moderation. Uh, as I began to study this out, I was immediately reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about, uh, with, uh, about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which doth so easily beset us. And we've all seen the analogy, I'm sure, uh, of, of a man uh, who's going to run a race, and he's down here, and he's getting ready to run a race, right? And, and he shows up, and he's got army boots on. He's got a camouflage jacket on. He's, he's in full gear, man. He's got a backpack on that weighs 60 pounds. And the guy next to him, man, he's got short, running shorts on. He shaved his head bald to give himself every advantage possible. He's wearing the lightest shirt he can get. And then you get down on the blocks with those cam, those boots on and, and all the army gear like you're going into combat. You got the backpack on and the gun sounds. You're not going to do too well, are you? You're not going to do too well. The guy next to you, even if you'd be faster than him, he's going to beat you. But what if the guy shows up drunk? Well, now we're going from a weight to a sin. We're going from a weight to a sin. This morning I would tell you this, is that we are to lay aside the sins. We are not to drink. The Bible says to look not upon the wine when it is red in the cup. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoso is deceived thereby is not wise. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You're not to touch it. You're not to look at it. You're not to drink it. You're not to have it advertised in your home on TV. Change the channel. Uh, look the other way. But beyond that, how about cursing? Taking God's name in vain. Let no corrupt communication. These things aren't done in moderation. These things aren't done at all. Where the Bible comes down hard and says no, we're to say no. But how about something like sports? How about something like politics? Nothing wrong with knowing what's going on in the world when it comes to the news. Nothing wrong with following a sports team. But are you doing it in moderation? Or are you allowing that to get out of place and get out of perspective and rob you from your walk with God? What did Paul say there? He said, let your moderation, your moderation be known unto all men. There's nothing wrong with sports. Listen, uh, uh, I'm a big, big sports fan. And again, I know this doesn't connect with everybody in here, but I do know there are some sports fans in here. Uh, I, it used to be in years past, I would take Thursday and Friday off of work uh, when it came to the the, uh, the March Madness tournament, the college basketball tournament, and I would order chicken wings, and I'd get chicken uh, 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 chicken, and I'd get dip and, and, and chips, and, and I'd get soda, and, and man, I'd sit there and I would just watch every game all day long, Thursday and Friday. But you know what I found is as I have gotten cro- closer to the Lord, I've had less and less and less time for sports. Oh, I'll still watch big games. I'll still watch some, but less and less and less time. You know, this year with this tournament, I think I maybe have watched clips of about seven or eight games. I mean, short four or five minute clips. I've turned it on here and there. I haven't watched a whole lot because I just haven't had a desire to, one. And two, I've been too busy serving my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to worry about that. How about politics? Boy, some pastors, they work from home. And what they really do is they work in their lazy boy and they got Fox News on. And they're watching the news. Or they got CNN on. 
Those are the liberal theologians, amen? And they're watching the news. There's nothing wrong with watching the news. But can I just tell you something? A lot of what's on the news channel, that's entertainment. It's entertainment. You turn on Sean Hannity on the way home from work, that's entertainment. It's entertainment. Moderation. I can refrain. You say, I can't refrain. There's a sin that has a stranglehold on me. There's, a, there's something that has a, a, a grip on me and I can't seem to get rid of it. You can't do it through your flesh, but I can refrain through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Number three, notice, I can request. I can request. Look down with me at verse six. And this verse is just loaded. The verse says there, Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, let's talk about what this verse means quickly here. When it says there, be careful for nothing, it's not talking about being careless. This isn't the attitude of, well, I don't have to pay my bills on time. Someone will just call and pay them for me because I, I have faith. You know, I have faith and most things will get taken care of on their own. That's not what it's talking about. Well, I can switch lanes without blinkers and checking my mirrors because, you know, I'm, I'm living my life by being careful for nothing. That's what the Bible says. It says, be careful for nothing. I can eat however I want and I don't have to sleep very many hours and I don't have to watch my health and, and I, be careful for nothing. No, what that, what that means there, what that word careful means is be anxious or be worried for nothing. I'm not a natural born worrier. I don't struggle with worry. It's never been a struggle of mine. Now, if I've got a whole lot going on in my life at one time, there have been seasons of worry the Lord's had to help me through. But some of you here, you worry about everything. Can I encourage you today? Don't let tomorrow's problem rob you of today's strength. Don't do that. Don't, don't wring your hands and worry about something that is completely and entirely out of your control. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy. I believe it was Teddy Roosevelt. I might have the wrong president, but I believe it was Teddy Roosevelt that said 90% of the problems that are heading at us head on land in the ditch before we ever get to them. How many of you have found that quote to be true? Most all of our problems end up in the ditch before we ever actually get to them. And I'm here today to tell you the Bible says that we are not to be anxious. You say, well, pastor, I can't just stop worrying. Well, God gives us a plan right here in the Word. Look back at verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. But, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What is prayer? That's taking our problems to God. God, I have a spirit of worry in me about this problem that's uh, coming at me head on. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. And their circumstances are out of my control. Would you, Lord, please take this worry away from me and give me your peace? That's prayer. But notice there it says, and supplication. What is this? So i got to tell you, sometimes I have prayed. And I've gotten up off my knees. And my mind is still preoccupied with it. You know what I've had to do? I've had to get down on my knees and I've had to pray a little bit harder. You know what that harder prayer is? That deeper prayer is that supplication. By prayer and supplication. Notice this. With thanksgiving. Some of you need to put this verse into full action. Pray about it. Then you get up, you're still worried. Get down and pray about it some more. And then how are you praying? We're to pray with thanksgiving. If you're a natural born worrier, you struggle with worry. 
Let me encourage you to get out a piece of paper and before you go into this time of prayer, write down things that you're thankful for. Come up with 7, 8, 9, 10, 15 things. And then when you go to God in prayer, before you raise your complaint, your worry to God, first spend time thanking Him for all the good in your life. And don't just read the list. Expound on each item. Lord, I'm so thankful that You have given me my sight. I might have to wear glasses, some of you might pray. I might have to wear glasses, but I can see. And I'm thankful that you have enabled me and allowed me to be able to see the beauty of the nature around me. How pretty my wife is or how ugly my, I mean how handsome my husband is. Amen? Uh, uh, But take the time and expound on each one of those things. Do you know that by the time you get down to asking God for that help with that worry that you have, a lot of that worry will have washed itself away. And what worry is there? You can go to God and say, God... Will you help me with this? And it will soften your spirit to ask God appropriately. I can request. Too often times, our prayer time is more like complaining time. Well, God, I don't know why you gave me the raw end of the deal in life. I don't know why my life has to be so hard and miserable and rough. Everybody treats me wrong. And God, why is my life so terrible? Now, God would rather you complain to Him than complain to everyone else. But the majority of your prayers don't need to be complaining. They need to be seeking and asking and knocking. They need to be requesting Him to help you, to give you that peace. You say, Pastor, I just can't do that. And I'm here today to tell you, you can't do that in your flesh, but you can request through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, this goes far beyond sports. This goes far beyond those things. This goes deep into living life and doing the things that are so hard to do. Number four, I can rely. I can rely. Look down at verse 7. Again, all these verses are just chucked full with so much goodness in them. And you could spend uh, hours and hours and hours extrapolating and pulling things out of these verses. Verse 7, the Bible says, And the peace of God, notice that, peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What is the peace of God? The peace of God comes... When there is an absence of sin in our lives. I love the bumper sticker that I've seen that says, Where there is no God, there is no peace. Or rather it says, N-O, no God, no peace. And then K-N-O-W, no God, no peace. There's a lot of truth there. Where there is sin in your life, where there is selfishness in your life, the peace of God isn't there robs us. And our hearts and minds cannot be kept through Christ Jesus. Today I wish I could get in a helicopter and fly high above Stratford. I wish I could look down and I wish I had a device where I could push a button and maybe highlight all the people who are struggling with the drug addiction blue. How many people in the greater Stratford-Bridgeport area are struggling with some sort of a drug addiction? Where there is no God, there is no peace. Maybe turn the blue button off and reach down and push the green button. 
highlight all the people that are having marriage problems. You know, I'd say that uh, more marriages than not are probably struggling with marriage problems. Where there is no God, there is no peace. Maybe turn the green button off and hit the blue button. Or the yellow button, rather. Hit the yellow button and highlight everyone who's struggling with parenting problems. Children are a mess running all over the place and mom and dad are out of their minds confused with how to raise those kids. Turn the yellow button off and maybe hit the red button. They'll highlight all the people who are filled with anxiety and fear and depression. You see, why do these people struggle with these things? Can I tell you why? They're not relying on God's strength. They're relying on their own. You can't live life through your strength. But you can be successful at life if you are doing it by relying on Christ's strength. He says there that the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is the peace of God, but we only get that peace if we're relying on Him and we're not relying on ourselves. You see, today, when you come to a problem and you don't know how to handle it, you have two choices. You can either do what your intellect tells you to do, or you can stop and pray and say, Lord, what would your intellect tell me to do? I can rely. I can rely through Christ, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Number five, I can resolve. Look down at verse eight. Now, i got to tell you, of all the things I uncovered in the studying of this sermon, this is my favorite. This is great. Now, I've had, again, this is another one of those verses that I've either been familiar with or have memorized a long portion of my life. But can I tell you the truth? Until about a month and a half ago when I sat down to study this, I did not understand this verse. To me, this was just a bunch of jumbled up ideas thrown in one verse, and it just seemed like a bunch of loose ends. But there is a rhythm to this. Look at verse 8. First of all, let me go back and quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all, what's that next word? Things. I can do all, say it together with me. Things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Huh. Maybe Paul wasn't talking about basketball, baseball, football. Maybe he wasn't talking about being a superhero husband, wife, father, mother. Maybe he wasn't talking about flying or being omnipotent. Maybe he was talking about something he referenced earlier in the passage. Look at this with me. Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever Things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Paul wasn't talking about sports. Paul wasn't talking about uh, this superficial, shallow usage of that verse. He was referencing back to verses 4 through 12. He was specifically referencing back to verses 8 and 9 where the word things is tied to Christian living. I can do all things through Christ. Now, I want to read that verse again, except I want to emphasize different words. And anytime I pause, I want us to read the next word out loud together. Would you do that? Look down at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are 
true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things, I'm sorry, whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. How does this work? Are these just a bunch of of, of uh, attributes or qualities, Christian qualities thrown into a verse just at random? No. They're put here and they're given to us to give us a checklist to know how we are to think, to know what thoughts to think. The thoughts you think need to check off in every one of these areas, and if they don't, then you don't need to be thinking about it. Ask yourself this question about your thought life. And again, the point here is I can resolve. I can resolve. You can resolve to change the way you think. Ask yourself this question. That thought I just thought, is it true? John 8.32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Is it true? If it's a lie, you need to stop thinking it. Don't live your life thinking about lies. Okay, it checks off as true. Move on to the next one. Is it honest? You think, well, pastor, aren't they the same thing? Truth and honesty. And they're similar, but they're not. Let me prove it to you, okay? Uh, My wife just slipped in the back of the service, so I'm going to use a marital illustration here. Um, My wife, she's going to kill me for saying this, my wife is drop-dead gorgeous. That's just my opinion. Now, if you don't feel that way, that's okay, all right? My opinion is she's the prettiest walking, prettiest woman walking on the planet. I'm in love not with just the, the, the beauty that's skin deep, but the beauty that goes all the way down into her heart. But can I tell you today that my wife is not the only pretty woman on the planet? Some of you are saying, I know, Pastor, I'm sitting next to one, amen? You better feel that way if you're married. Um, do you know that if I think a thought about another woman being beautiful, I can step back and go, that's a true statement. But is it honest for me to dwell on that? Is that honest to my marital vows for me to continue to think about another woman that's pretty? You see, when I got married, I put on blinders. And while I might notice quickly at a glance that a woman's pretty, it is not honest to our wedding vows for me to continue to think on it. Ask yourself this question when it comes to your thought life. Is it honest? Okay, check. Rather, is it true? Okay, check. Is it honest for me to be thinking about it? Okay, check. Is it, uh, uh, what's the next one there? Is it just? Am I justified thinking about this right now? It might be true and it might be honest, but is it something? Is it the best thing for me to be thinking about right now? Is it just? If that one checks off, move down the list. Is it pure? Is it a pure thought for me to be having right now? Are my motives pure in thinking about this? Is it lovely? Is it lovely? Does it please a loving Father that I'm thinking about this? Is it of a good report? Truth told, if it isn't these things, then you need to resolve not to think about it. Say, Pastor, that's going to throw out like over half of my, my thoughts. The Bible talks about the renewing of your mind. You know, that takes work, right? There's supposed to be that new creature when you get saved where you put away the old thoughts and you are not conformed to this world, but you're transformed. You're transformed. You say, Pastor, I can't do that. I can't resolve to only think thoughts like that. Oh, you can. I can resolve through Christ. Through Christ. 
which strengtheneth me. Number six, I can replicate. I can replicate. Look down at verse 9 of Philippians chapter 4. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Here's how uh, we are to live our Christian life. My entire Christian life. And the day I asked Jesus Christ in my heart on April 8th, 1988, as a four-year-old boy, from that day forward, my duty as a Christian is to become like Jesus Christ. That's my duty. My duty is to live my life the way that Jesus would have me live it. And in order for me to do that, I've got to understand who Christ was. I've got to uh, become passionate about the things He was passionate about. I've got to uh, care about the causes He cared about. I've got to embrace who Christ was. I've got to pick up my cross and I've got to move forward. How do you do that? Well, you do that a couple of ways. The first way is by reading the Bible. That ought to be a daily practice of yours that you read your Bible and you walk with the Lord. But secondly, I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What was he saying there? I am following Christ. In the areas that I'm following Christ, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. What is my duty as a Christian? My duty is to seek out godly men who are following Christ, godly women who are following Christ, and to follow those attributes that are Christ-like in them. So I am to identify those who are walking with Christ, and I am to follow them as they follow Christ. Now, that's half the process. Here's the second half. I'm to turn around and find people who are not following Christ, and I'm to convince them to follow me as I follow other people who are following Christ. Here's the truth. At the end of the day, you're not to follow me. But you're to follow me where I'm following Christ. You know, a lot of churches are built on the personality of a pastor, or personality of deacons, or personality of Sunday school teachers... And when that Sunday school teacher or that deacon or that pastor falls into sin, people quit going to church. They drop off. You know why? They were following somebody else, but they weren't really following Christ. When that person falls by the wayside, listen, my duty is not to follow some man, it's to follow the Lord. Hey, I'm going to love such and such that's fallen. I'm going to be compassionate and caring and gracious and merciful. But I'm going to follow someone else who's following Christ and I'm going to get on behind them and I'm going to move forward for the Lord. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to keep finding others that need to follow Christ. And I'm going to, hey, hey, come on, follow me as I follow Christ. Today what I'm trying to tell you out of this verse is to replicate what, is, what would Christianity become if we all just sat on our hands and said, Well, I love Jesus, that's enough. It would die out real quick. I can replicate. You say, Pastor, I can't do that. I can't find other people in the community and other people at church and get them to follow me. Yes, you can. You can't do it through your flesh, but you can do it through Christ. You can do it through Christ. Can I ask you a very pointed question today? Who is closer to Jesus today because they know you than they were yesterday or last week or last month? Who are you leading to be like Christ? 
If you're a married man here, you know you have a responsibility to lead your wife to love Jesus. You say, Pastor, you have no idea what I'm up against. Figure it out. It's your duty. If it's the last thing you do to the grave, you figure out how to lead her to Christ. You a mom here? You got little kids? You know you're to lead them not to love you, but to love Christ. Oh, they'll love you if they love Christ. Your grandma or grandpa here today? You're to lead those children and grandchildren to love the Lord. Hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. You might be here today and you say, well, pastor, I'm not a husband to lead a wife and I don't have any children. I'm maybe single or I'm a married lady with no uh, children. Who am I to lead? Find some people in this church. Find some people out in that community and get them to follow you as you follow Christ. The church is not going to grow based on the people that come to us on their own. This church is going to grow based on us going out to them into the communities. I can replicate. Number seven, I can regard. I can regard. Look down at verse 10. Notice how the church of Philippi is showing regard or care for the Apostle Paul. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye also were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. There was an ebb and a little bit of a flow here to the care that the church of Philippi had given. And no doubt they were sending some sort of support to Paul, whether it was material goods that he needed to live life, or maybe it was a financial donation to help him live. And there had been a time where that was there, and then a time where it had shrunk, and now it had come back again strong. And what was he saying? He was saying this, he was saying, uh, uh, you are showing regard for me. You know, we got to go around uh, uh, in this world showing that we love each other and that we care for each other. A church is healthy not based on how many people look like you that sit in our pew. A church is healthy based on how many people don't look like you. It ought to be that people who walk into the doors of our church who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, smell like us, they feel very loved. They ought to be swarmed by our folks and said, hey, will you come sit with me? Hey, will you come sit with me? They ought to be like, man, they're, they're fighting over me in that church. They love me that much. I can regard. It's easy to stay in your bubble and to go up and talk to people that you have a lot in common with. Be friends with people you have a lot in common with. I'm here today to tell you that we're to re- show regard and care for others. Quickly, we've got two more points quickly here. Number eight, I can rest. Look down at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know what contentment brings? It brings rest. It brings rest. Materialism brings unrest. You've got to have a house that's a little bit bigger. I gotta have a car that's a little bit nicer. I gotta have a watch that's a little bit more expensive. I gotta have name brands on my clothes that show a status in life that I am well to do. You never have enough. You know, I have met uh, people who live in a low income neighborhood, drive a clunker for a car, have holes in their clothes, and they've been some of the richest people I've ever met. You say, rich? They're not rich. You just said they live in a low-income area. They drive a car that's a beater. How can you call them rich? What you'll learn is that when you 
want everything that you have, you'll become the richest person in the entire world. But if you only want that which you don't have, you're very poor. You're very poor. How many people do I know? They're running from point A to point B to point C to point D. and They're living on three hours of rest, two hours of rest, four hours of rest, five hours of rest. They're working overtime here. They're working two jobs, three jobs. They're trying to uh, get every penny they can so they can have more money in their bank accounts. They can have nicer clothes and nicer things. I'm going to tell you today, the number one enemy to the local New Testament church in the United States of America is materialism. It's materialism. We want to have so many things. And I'm here to tell you today that it's time to lay that to rest. You can rest. Look, why don't you at some point stop and look at what you have and thank God for it and say, this is good enough. This is good enough. I don't have to have more. I don't have to have nicer. I don't have to have newer. I don't have to have the latest and greatest. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. You say, Pastor, but that totally throws my way of thinking completely out the window. I can't do that. I just can't do that. Again, uh, Philippians 4.13 isn't a reference to hitting a three-pointer. Philippians 4.13 is a reference that you can rest in contentment because you trust in God. Let's not for, let us not forget where the book of Philippians was written from. It was written from a dungeon. I didn't use the word prison. Because in the U.S. of A., when we hear the word prison, we think of air conditioning, heating cell with three squares a day and cable TV in some of them. That's not where Paul was. They literally dug a hole in the ground. They put a door on it with a lock. They'd open it up and they'd throw you down in there and they'd shut it back. And then it was time to eat. They throw bread and water down in there and he fought over it. And Paul's sitting down in there with parchment and a pen. And the light coming through those little holes of that door. He's getting right where he can position himself to have just enough light to write the church of Philippi a letter and entrusting it probably to someone who is about to get out so they could take it to the church of Philippi for him. And he's writing on there to them, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. Are you content today? Or are you filled with unrest? I can rest through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Number nine and lastly, I can relate. Look down at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. I know both how to be abased. I know how, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What was Paul saying there? I can relate with people. He expounds further on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19 down through verse 23 where the Bible says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this is for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. What was Paul saying here? He was saying, I can become all things to all men, so that they can be saved 
for the gospel's sake. The truth is, today, you ought to be able to sit down at a table with a businessman or a CEO, and you ought to be able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ in an intelligent enough way where they, one, respect you, and two, they'll receive him. But then you ought to also be able to get in your car and drive down to the inner city of Bridgeport and find some drunk sitting on a curb and sit right next to him. And be able to put your arm around them. And be able to love them. And be able to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can relate. I can relate. I can love people regardless of where they're at. I can give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? As he said in 1 Corinthians 9, for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Today I want to ask you a question. Are you trying to live life your way? Are you trying to do it through your flesh? You're just going to run into dead end after dead end after dead end. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. This morning I woke up, got ready to go. I reached down on my bed and I picked up my suit jacket. You know, before I put my suit jacket on, it had been laying lifeless on the bed. I put my right arm through the right sleeve and I put my left arm through the left sleeve and my coat has done a lot of moving today. But it's me that has moved the coat. Christ wants to move you. But He can't do that if you're filled with yourself. We run into dead end after dead end after dead end. Hurt after hurt after hurt. Pain after pain after pain. Frustration after frustration after frustration. Because we think we can do it our way. Philippians 4.13. Can we say it together? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.